Have you recently made a resolution to yourself to become a better person and then didn't follow through? Have you made a promise to get things done and then didn't? Do you feel let down by feelings of personal failure? Well, I say fight back. My name is Dirk Hardcastle and I'm a lawyer and I fight for your right. For many of us, making promises to ourselves is a time-honored tradition. But when we break those promises, we often struggle with feelings of worthlessness. Feeling bad? I'm sorry, but I thought this was America. My law firm is prepared to fight for financial compensation for your feelings of sadness. Cold, hard cash. Have you been trying to lose weight only to gain more weight? I will sue. I will find whoever it is who has been putting delicious food in your refrigerator. And if that person is you, I will sue the farmer. Have you been trying to gossip less only to gossip more? I will sue. I will drag whoever you're speaking badly about to court because you wouldn't be speaking bad about them if they didn't deserve it. Have you been trying to read the Bible more or spend more time in prayer? How's that going? I will sue your pastor or minister for making you feel uncomfortable with your spiritual progress. I fight for people's rights to remain stagnant. Some people say that it's only through constant spiritual discipline and the leading of the Lord that we become more Christ-like. But I say, let a lawyer be a judge of that. My name's Dirk Hardcastle, and I'm a lawyer. Dirk Hardcastle is not a lawyer, and in no way, shape, or form can farmers, pastors, ministers, or victims of gossip lose a lawsuit brought on by the likes of a Dirk Hardcastle. Resolutions are not guaranteed to make you a better Christian, but diligently following Christ does. To um, a special Sunday here at the well, as what I want to talk about here today, obviously as we approach New Year's, and New Year's is right around the corner. Every single person has the same thing in their mind about what's going to be different in 2013 and how this year is going to be an improved year. And, of course, everyone's favorite topic at this point in time is resolutions. And we love to make resolutions. And we love to set goals and resolutions and goals and resolutions and goals. And we love it so much that we'll make a whole bunch of resolutions today. And then next year we'll gather together and make the exact same ones again. All right, because we made them every single year for the past however many years, and we'll probably make them again for as long as God gives us life on this, on this earth. I want to talk about something today that we don't usually talk about because we talk about resolutions. I believe that resolutions are very, very important, and I'm, I'm all for setting goals, and, and that's, that's the best thing. But I think there's a step before resolutions that because we don't take this step, our resolutions are very short-term, meaning that they don't really last because we're missing this step before. And what I want to talk about is the step before any re resolutions need to take place. Proverbs chapter 29, verse in case you're looking for a verse to memorize. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Y'all heard this verse before, right? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let me ask you a question. What does that verse mean to you as you approach the new year and as you approach set, uh, a time of setting goals and making resolutions for the new year? What does this verse mean to you? Where there is no vision, the people perish. You know what it means to me? It means to me that just having good intentions for the new year probably isn't enough. That just wanting to be better probably isn't enough. 
Because every single one of us wants to be more spiritual in the new year. Every single one of us wants to be healthier in the new year. Every single one of us wants our relationships to improve in the new year. We have the best of intentions. And our problem is we have good intentions and we make all these resolutions. But because we're missing that middle step, which is having a good vision and a, and a clear vision, that's why our resolutions are going nowhere. Let me say that another way. You have aspirations, like I said, and intentions of being good this year. All right, let's say, let's just take something simple like your career. All right, you want to do better in your career. You want to take that next step. But until you have like a vision of what that next step is going to look like, it's probably unlikely that you're going to be successful. The person who shows up at college on the first day and says, I want to be successful one day. Okay, that's very nice. All right, but you, you need a little bit more of a, a vision as to, I want to be a successful doctor. Because if you say, I want to be a doctor, then that vision is going to drive the classes that you take. That is going to drive the decisions you make on Friday nights when all the people are going out partying, and you say, no, my vision is to be a doctor, so therefore I make this decision. You have a vision to become a star athlete one day. If you've ever spent any time with someone who is like a, a, a professional athlete or, or a college athlete, you'll see that because they have a vision of what it is they're trying to accomplish, they make all kinds of decisions that me and you don't make. Someone comes to them with a box of donuts, and they say, no, thank you. And it's, why is it that they say no thank you to the same thing that I can't resist? Because they have a vision of I want to be Michael Phelps Jr. Or I want to be Carl Lewis, the next one. Or I want to be whatever it is. Without vision, people perish. We once did a whole retreat about this very topic. And one of the things that I said during that retreat, which I've said before and I'll say it again, is that everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. And this is something that every one of us, we can approach our life with. But more specifically, we should approach the new year with this attitude. That right now is the end of 2012. A year from now, God willing, we'll stand at the end of 2013. And you will have ended up somewhere. The question is, did you end up somewhere on purpose? Or you end up somewhere by accident? In your married life. You say, I want my married life to be somewhere. You're, I promise you, between now and the end of 2013, your married life is going to get somewhere. The question is, are you going to be going somewhere on purpose, or are you just going to end up somewhere randomly? Same with your career. Same with your spiritual life. Same with every aspect of life. Nothing will guide the outcome of your life more than the vision you set for it. I'll tell you a true story that happened several years ago. And some of you know the story because some of you were even part of the story. This was back before I was, I was married. I was a single youngster, okay? And uh, um, there was a Bible study being held here in Washington, D.C. by a friend of mine. His name is Abuna John Paul now. He's a priest out uh, in California, okay? Danny probably remembers back in the day. So I lived back out in, in the suburbs, all right? And then he was having a Bible study at his apartment here, and he lived in, near DuPont Circle. And I had been to his apartment probably once or twice before, but I'd never gone there by myself. There was this Bible study, and Marianne, my lovely wife-to-be, at the time we weren't dating or anything like that, okay? We were just friends. You know, that's her story at least, but we know that you're friends. <laughs> so she wanted to come with me to this Bible study, okay? So I said, okay, we'll, we'll go together because both of us as the Fairfax people, like, we'll go together, all right? And we get near the area of where his apartment building is, all right? And I stress on the fact that we were near the area. We parked the car. And then I said, yeah, I know exactly how to get there. Now, the truth of the matter is, I had no idea how to get there, all right? 
But that's okay, because I knew the general vicinity, and, you know, yeah, I'd figure it out. No joke. We spent about 45 minutes walking around, and she would start to say, hey, didn't we walk by here before? And I'm like, no, no, no. It looks the same, but it, no, no, it's different. I had to convince for the first 43 of those 45 minutes that I knew exactly where I was going, all right? And the rest is history, okay, obviously. But the point is, is that we're walking around. Yeah, I think it's here. Uh, no, it's not here. Okay, let's try this area. No, that's not right. And we're walking, 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 and really not getting anywhere because we're just walking in circles. And the place we're supposed to get to is right there. And eventually we stumbled our way and found it. But that's a good picture of how a lot of us live our lives, isn't it? That we know kind of like, yeah, I'm supposed to be somewhere in this area. All right, so let's kind of walk over this area. All right, it didn't work out. That didn't make me happy. All right, let me, let me try this. Um, you know, oh, no, no, this is my, must be what it is. A career. Let me uh, work harder and work for this. Okay, there. Well, that didn't really fill it. Okay. Oh, a relationship. Oh, I need to change the relationship. I need to, th this is what I need. That's not really it. And we kind of stumble around from place to place trying to figure out what's the answer, but we have no vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, let's talk specifics. You're married. Where there's no vision for your marriage, most marriages end up in divorce. You're single. Where there's no vision for how you are to live a godly single life, most single people lead a, a single life that takes them further away from what they're trying to achieve, which is a happy marriage, as they jump from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, because they have no vision. And if they had a vision, they might not be that way. Where there's no vision for your financial security and financial health, you continue to spend and spend and spend and spend and spend and then wonder, how come I got no money in my pocket? And where there is no vision for your spiritual life, you will go to church, you'll read the Bible every now and then, you'll pray whenever you feel like praying, and you will end up wandering around and getting absolutely nowhere. And you'll sit at the end of 2013 and say, how come I'm not any more closer to God than I was at the start? And how come I don't know anything more in my Bible than I did at the start? Because why? Because where there's no vision, the people perish. <clears throat> Our question for today that I'm challenging you is don't tell me your resolution for the new year. Tell me your vision for the new year. Tell me what do you envision your year, like I said, like what do you envision your life looking like That's good. Sometimes the spirit works so hard, it knocks even the microphone out. What do you envision your life looking at? Like, this is a good exercise for life, okay? But especially as we approach the new year, it's a great exercise that what do you envision your life looking at and break it down into different aspects. What do you envision your relationships looking like at the end of the year? What do you envision your career looking like? Or if you're a student, your studies looking like, your GPA looking like. Like, until you can envision it, you can't achieve it. You can't achieve something you didn't envision. And if you, if you, if you, like those who know anything about the people who are great athletes, like Michael Jordan used to always say that, and I totally believe it, that before any time you go out there and you play, you have to envision yourself doing it. And there's studies, all these studies, that when you envision yourself doing it, the likelihood of you being able to accomplish it is much greater. But if you can't even see it, then you have no chance of accomplishing it. So I'm asking you, what is your vision for 2013? What is it that's going to make you get up out of bed in the morning? Don't tell me your goal. Don't tell me lose 10 pounds. That's not a vision. All right? Don't tell me get a promotion. That's not a vision. A vision is a state of life. 
All right? How do you find your vision? All right? What I want to stress on, I'm actually not going to stress on this right now. Like I said, we did an entire three-day retreat on this very topic of how to find the vision. I don't, I don't want to get into that right now. As much as I want to say this, that the most important thing with a vision is that it's God's vision, not your vision. The purpose isn't here to say, my vision is, I'm a millionaire. Okay, that's fantastic, but that's not God's vision. Or the vision isn't say, well, I want to play in the NBA. Okay, that's fantastic, but you're 5'9". So that's not, not, not likely that that's going to work. So we need a godly vision. What does God want my life to look like? And the way you discover a godly vision, imagine again my example of wandering aimlessly, but imagine driving in a car. If I'm driving in a car at 100 miles an hour, it is unlikely that I will see a lot of the details that I'm, is going by as I'm driving down the road. If I want to, if God is trying to speak to me and give me a vision of something beautiful, then maybe what I need to do is I need to pull the car over, turn it off, get out, and look, and study, and take a little bit of time. And I believe the same thing true in life. In life, we go 100 miles an hour at all times. That's fine. That's the nature of the area we live in. We go 100 miles an hour. That's okay, but it's not okay all the time. And every now and then, a New Year's is a perfect opportunity. Pull the car over. Take a little bit of time out. Take some time. Pull over. Spend some time reflection, some time meditation. You're married. Discuss it with your spouse. What's our vision for the New Year? What's our vision for our kids? What's our vision for our career? What do we want our life to look like at the end of 2013? Take a little bit of time. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in, in God's Word and reflect on where God wants your life to go. Like, you can't just keep driving around. Like, again, I, I, I fully, I'm the first one. 100 miles an hour, I agree. That, that, there's nothing we can do about that. But you got to take time to pull over every now and then. A car that you got the, the, the foot on the, the gas, okay, that'll work for so long, but every now and then you got you to ease up, give the car time to rest. And some of our lives, we don't rest. From January 1 to December 31, we haven't had any rest. Now's the time to pull the car over, do some introspection. And I believe that it is God's desire to reveal to you his vision. Ephesians 5.17, do not be unwise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's God's desire to reveal to you his vision for the new year for you. Like, it's not like you got to pull God's teeth, all right, figuratively. It's not like pulling God's teeth to try to get the vision from him. It's his greatest desire to reveal it to you. But the problem is you're going so fast that you keep missing it. I firmly believe that no one can reveal God's vision to you except God himself. Don't say, come tell me what my vision is. No one can do that. Our job as the church, the church's job is not to give you the vision, it's to give you the tools to achieve your vision, to empower you to achieve it. And when you, 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 and each one person here has a vision from God, and then they come to the church together, and the church empowers you and enables you and equips you to be able to fulfill that vision. That's when, like I said many times from the start of this church, that's when the tidal wave can't be stopped. That's when a fire gets lit in Arlington, and that fire can't be put out. And that's the fire of the Holy Spirit, and that's the tidal wave that's going to take over the whole wide world. When each one knows what God wants from them, and we put it together, your job is to get the vision from the Holy Spirit. Church's job is to give you the tools to achieve it. And we're going to talk about that in the new year. But like I said, now I'm taking a step back. I'm not talking about the how. Now I want to do, I want to do two things in parallel with each other. I want to speak very personally 
okay, to you from my own experience about this past year for me and what I felt God's vision that he put on me, and obviously it relates a lot to the church, all right, and in it I'll share me personal, I'll also share where I see the church's vision going, but also what I want to do is I want to take a look at an example from the Bible, because usually when God puts vision on the heart of his people, there's like a pattern that he follows, all right, and it's, you can, when you study, how did he work with Moses, how did he work with, um, with St. Paul, how did he work with uh, Noah, how, like when God works in people's lives and gives them vision, there's a pattern that he follows, so we're going to take a look at a passage from the book of Acts about St. Paul and at the end of his life, or near the end of his life, when he's ministering in a city called Ephesus. And little context, he's in this city called Ephesus, and he'd been there for a long time. Ephesus is the place where we get the epistle to the Ephesians, okay? Ephesians, people lived in Ephesus. So he's been with them in Ephesus for a long time, and he's really bonded with them. And he's, and he's grown to really love them and, and, and really bond with them during his time there. But now he feels God is calling him to leave them. And of course, because he loves them so much, his heart breaks for having to leave them. But he feels like he has to do what God is calling him to do. So he gathers the elders together and he says the following. In verse 22, And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What he's saying in this passage is, it breaks my heart, but I got to follow God's leading for my life. God's leading for your life always begins with something very, very important. The starting point for God's vision in your life. What's the starting point for God's vision in your life? In that very first line. Before going to Jerusalem, what's the starting point? What's the key to the start? Like, what's the seed that starts off this whole process of, 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 of receiving and achieving vision? Is that bound in the Spirit. The first step is there has to be an overwhelming sense of prompting from the Spirit. Our St. Paul said, bound in the Spirit. Now, what does bound in the Spirit mean? The word bound, literally, okay, means like handcuffed. So the image when St. Paul says, see now I go to Jerusalem, bound in the Spirit. He's saying, I'm not choosing to go to Jerusalem. I'm not saying like, hey, let's take a vacation in Jerusalem. I'm not bored. I got free time. I'm saying, I'm comfortable right here, but the Holy Spirit is tugging on me and saying, go. And I'm saying, well, I don't want to. And he's saying, you, I'm telling you to go. And the image is St. Paul saying, I'm going bound like my handcuffs. I believe that every single one of us, and you know this to be true, the Holy Spirit tugs at you in that same way. The Holy Spirit tugs at you in the same way. And I think if you're really, 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 really honest, you will know that there have been many times that the Holy Spirit has tugged at you and you just... Do like this, and you pretend that you don't. Well, how come God hasn't spoken to me? But I'm promising you the Holy Spirit tug at you. Sometimes you know the Holy Spirit tug at you and say, this relationship, uh-uh, no, this relationship. And you say, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's saying, no, 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 this relationship. And that's the beginning of God's vision for your life. I don't want to give you this marriage, and I want to give you this glorious life. But this relationship, no, and that bound in the Spirit. And sometimes we're just like, no, 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 no. But when you uh, listen 
and you accept the prompting of the Spirit, that's how it all starts off. Sometimes the Spirit prompts you and says, you are living your life in a very materialistic way. You care a lot about your new shoes. You care a lot about your new glasses. You're looking very much materialistic. And I'm not against materialistic things, but the way you're living is materialistic. And we say, no, 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 and I have a right to, and what's the big deal? And we rationalize, and we, 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 all this kind of stuff. But it's the Spirit that's inside us that's prompting us. You want to do something great for God? You want to do something great for God? Let me tell you my theory in life. I'm a big Mother Teresa fan. All right? And if you're a Mother Teresa fan and you read books about Mother Teresa, I'm a huge Mother Teresa fan. And if you saw that last movie they made about Mother Teresa probably like three, four years ago, it is incredible, this about Mother Teresa, that if you go ask Mother Teresa, I promise you, Mother Teresa, did you do anything great for God while you were alive? You know what she'd say? She said, no, I never did anything great. And honestly, I can say she never did anything great for God either. Now you feel like, oh my goodness, I'm struck by lightning, what's going on? Mother Teresa never did anything great for God. You know what she did? She did a lot of very small things for God. And she was very obedient to the prompting of the Spirit from step one to step two to step three. The Spirit doesn't t give you from here to there. He didn't come to her when she was when she was sitting in her couch watching TV and say, you're going to be the greatest missionary to the poor. It doesn't work like that. He puts her here, and then he shows her a poor person and says, go do something about it. And me and you would say, be quiet. I want to get me a coffee. And she said, okay, you know what? Spirit said, so I'm going to. And then the Spirit said, okay, you know what? Go help the, help the poor guy next to him too. Okay, help the poor guy next to him. And how about the one there? And actually, now I want you to leave all this. How am I leave all this but all these poor people? Because I want you to go to the, even the more people. More poor people. So she went over there, and then she went there, and then she got followers, and she built them up, and then she built this orphanage. And, 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 and. And at the end of her life, you look back, and you say, wow, you did great things. She said, no, I never did anything great. All I did was obey the Spirit's prompting step by step by step. I promise you, Holy Spirit, He's not dead. He's alive. And He's alive inside you. And He has a vision. And He's going to speak to you, the question is, are you going to listen? And are you going to obey what he asks, not asks, I'm sorry, what he tells you to do? Me personally, I'll tell you, like I said, me personally. <clears throat> For me, my bound in the spirit moment that came this past year, all right, which was accumulating for several years, all right, was that I had this, I don't care about anything. I don't care about anything. I don't care. Whatever it is God wants, that's fine with me. I'm comfortable. I love my church. I had been with St. Mark's Church forever. Like from when I was two years old, I was a member of St. Mark's Church. Eventually became a priest, and I'm so happy. The problem is, is that God put a vision on my heart and said there are certain people who cannot find me here. And I said, oh, that stinks, God. Good luck. And God said, no, I want you to do something about it. So what am I going to do about it? I said, I want you to do something about it. And God put this vision on my heart. And there's a vision that was accumulating and accumulating and accumulating that there has to be a place where people who can remove all the cultural barriers that might exist and remove all the, 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 the high walls to get to the beauty of Orthodox Christianity. We have a beautiful thing in the Orthodox Church, and it is the most beautiful thing ever, ever, ever. But there's a lot of places that you can't get to it because there's walls. And God said, I want you to do something about it. God also said to me that it is not 
the way that I want it, God said to me, he wants to see a place where people, there's no barriers to whatever culture, to whatever anything you come in with, and there's no stopping authentic communion. That's the one thing I repeated from the very, 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 very start. I said to God, okay, God, but how? What am I going to do? And how is this going to work? And that's exactly what St. Paul said in Acts chapter 20. The second step, if you look at your handout after St. Paul said, I'm bound in the spirit, he said, I have no idea what is going to be there when I get there, not knowing the things that await me. And this is always the way it works with God's vision. God says, do, like think about it. If you're St. Paul and God says, go to Jerusalem, how are you going to respond? What are you going to say? You going to ask any questions? You just going to go? First thing that I'd ask is, why? <laughs> what am I going to do? How much am I going to get paid? Is there benefits? Like, you start to ask some questions. Why, God? Like, wh wh what's, give me the, the, the next step in it. And God, as God always does, says, I'm not going to tell you. You ever wonder why God doesn't give the details? Why God makes us stay in certain uncertainty phases for so long? Like, why? Think about it. Why doesn't God tell St. Paul, like, let me put you at ease, St. Paul. You're going to go. This is what's going to happen. Exactly. God obviously knows what's going to happen. How come God doesn't tell St. Paul? Why? Why God doesn't tell St. Paul? Any guesses? Usually when we say why God doesn't tell St. Paul, we'd say things like God wants to teach him to trust. Right? Or God wants him to, you know, to, to, to have faith. And I don't disagree with that. Yes, that's correct, and God tries this. Absolutely. But come on, man. Like, we paint God in such an ugly picture, like this mean father who's like, no, trust me. And I'm not going to tell you. You have to learn to trust me. And we paint God in this ugly, ugly picture, like he's just up there and like, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, I'm not going to tell you. And you have to guess. You have to trust me. Like, come on. Like, whenever God does anything, like, even we as dads, we don't do that to our kids. Why do we, why do we make our Heavenly Father worse dads than we are? Yes, God wants us to trust him, and that's a piece of the pie. But I think there's a much bigger reason that God does anything that God does. When God does anything, the reason is always not to benefit him, but to benefit me. You want to know why God doesn't give you details? You want to know why? I'll give you a straight answer. Because you can't handle the details. <laughs> Come on, that was my big dramatic moment. The truth of the matter is you can't handle the details. The other day I was reading about Moses. And let's say you tell Moses. Okay, God appears to Moses in the burning bush and says, Moses, I had a great plan for you. You're going to deliver the people out of Egypt. And Moses says, great, God. How is it going to work? Moses, he says, oh, no, I'll tell you how it's going to work. You're going to go to Pharaoh, okay? And Pharaoh's going to hate your guts. And then you're going to go back to your people, and your people are going to hate your guts. Everyone's going to hate your guts, all right? And then I'm going to lead you out in the middle of nowhere, and you're going to be out there, congratulations, for 40 years. And the people many times are going to try to kill you. You won't have any food. You won't have any water. Who's in? <laughs> Abraham. Abraham. 
leave your land. Okay, God, what's going to happen when I leave my land? Oh, this is where the fun stuff starts, all right? First of all, you're going to be a foreigner in the land that's going to have a famine. And then when you're there, I'm going to ask you to do something real fun. You're going to circumcise yourself and all of your household, okay? That should be a lot of fun. And then after that, you're going to have a child. But after you have a child, I'm going to ask you to kill the child. You ready? <laughs> Why God doesn't tell us details? Because we can't handle details. Me personally. I've been ordained as a priest now 11-something years, all right? Priesthood is the best, okay? I can't thank God enough for the blessings, okay? But I'll be honest, all right? There are some trials that come along with the priesthood. And when I got ordained as a priest, I don't say this, and like I say this, what I mean, and I had no idea what was going on in the world, all right? I was clueless. And God didn't tell me all this stuff. God just said, hey, this is nice. Let's be a priest. I said, okay, you know what I mean? And kind of skipping along, and you know what I mean? Like, this is nice. Had God told me at the time, and again, I'm not complaining. I'm saying the blessings here, but I have to be honest. There's some. Had God told me at the time, you're going to break your back. Now, you're going to do everything that you can. You're going to have the best of intentions. People are going to criticize you. People are going to hate you. And people are going to have websites dedicated to how much you stink, right? <laughs> Not only that, when I was ordained as a priest, I was a quiet guy. My wife was a quiet girl. Like, we were quiet people. I worked as a computer programmer guy. I dealt with as few people as possible. I'm a strong, strong, strong introvert. For those who know me well, they know that. I had never in my life spoken in front of a large group of people. If God had said, you're going to deal with people all the time, and you're going to have to be nice, right, because you are now representing me. And in addition, you're going to stand in front of 1,000 people, and you are going to speak and speak and speak. And every word that you say, people are going to be hanging on every word. And if you mess up one of those words, they're going to hate me for all of eternity. So these are important words. I'd have said, thank you, God, very much. No, thank you. No way. No way I'd have said yes. But God doesn't tell us the details. Why? Because you can't handle the details. <clears throat> I remember when we started the church, no one thought this was a dumber idea than me. <laughs> no one. I'm not a starting a church kind of a guy. I'm a give me a formula and I can plug and play. But I'm not a figure things out on your own from scratch kind of a guy. S sometimes I would think to myself, be like, what in the world are we doing? We're starting a church. Like, how do you start a church? There's no, like, howtostartchurch.com, right? <laughs> There's none of that stuff. But I kept thinking to myself, this is dumb. But God said, I know that you think it's dumb. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to figure it out. That's why, for those who remember, people laughed at me. People laughed at me because during the first three months of the church, we were back in the Hilton Hotel, if you all remember, I kept saying over and over and over that we're still in the initial phases, and it's like a trial. We don't know what's going to happen. People were laughing at me because people keep coming, and people keep coming. I'm like, we'll see how this, because I'm, that's the way my mind thinks. It's like, I don't know how this thing is going to work. I don't know who's going to come. I don't know people's going to be interested. I don't know where we're going to get money from. I don't know how we're going to uh, have a stage. Like, I don't know how we're going to do anything. But God kept doing and doing and doing and saying, I'll tell you at the right time. This is the way that God works. And I promise you, God is going to give you a vision. For those who are seeking it, God is going to give you a vision. Like I said, this is where I want your marriage to be. You're going to say, but how, God? Don't worry about how. Just worry about what. The how comes later. Don't confuse the what with the how. When you got married, okay, for those who are married, or when you're going to get married, you're going to feel like God is calling you to marry this person. That doesn't mean that all the details will be figured out. And that doesn't mean y'all never going to fight. And that's what some people have this, of like, but how do I know we're not going to fight? No, you're going to fight. 
But how do I know she's not gonna change? No, she's going to change. They all change, okay? <laughs> in a positive way, in a positive way, all right? They change, we change, like everyone changes. There's no guarantee of it's not going to change. But the guarantee is I want you to do it and we'll figure out the how later. That's all you need. All I need for marriage is a green light. This is from God. And if this is from God, we'll find a way to make it work. When you come up with your vision for the new year, you don't need to figure out the details. How am I going to, um, God says, get rid of this relationship. But how, God? And I don't have anyone else. Don't worry about how. Just worry about what for now. We'll deal with how later. God's saying, I want you to, uh, to get your life in order. Stop messing around. Get your relationship with me in order. But how, God? I'm busy. Don't worry about how. Just say yes to the what. We'll figure out the how later. It's always how God works. So the first step, God gives this vision. And God says, I want you to do this. And then you, if you're like me, say, God, but how? And God says, I'm not going to tell you the details. Not because I don't want to tell you. Not because I don't want to give you peace, but because you can't handle it. And if I told you the details, you'd run away scared from this great thing that I have envisioned for you. After that, you start to take some steps. What is the next thing that you should, from the minute you start to take a step towards God's vision for your life, circle it on your calendar, like mark it for sure. It is inevitable this next step is going to happen, which is you will face resistance. And it is inevitable. That's why St. Paul says that I'm going over there to Jerusalem not knowing the things that await me, except that blessings and comfort await me. Is that what he says? Except that, well, since it's from God, knowing that uh, good things await me. What does he say he knows awaits him? St. Paul says, I have no idea what's on the side, what's on the other side of door number two, but I know one thing, chains and tribulations. How? You don't know, like, why are you always negative? Okay, be optimistic, be half full. Maybe there's some chains, but maybe there's like the lotteries on the other side or something like that. Why always like a Debbie Downer, okay, and it always has to be chains and tribulations. Why? Because that's life. And I don't know what's going to happen during this coming year, but I'm sure if you try to do one thing in the positive direction for God's vision, you will have chains and tribulations. Sure of it. Because, not because, again, again, sometimes we think, because God wants to try our faith. Okay, God wants to try our faith, but God is on our side. It's not because God is trying to try our faith, but because we have an enemy who's trying to, as soon as he sees you trying to walk over here, he's going to stick his leg out and try to trip you up. And you say, I want my marriage to go forward. He's going to say, okay, boom. You say, I want my career. He's going to try to trip you up. The second you say, I want to do something good, you got to know that your enemy is not going to just sit back and watch you do it. Moses, let's lead the people out of Israel or out of Egypt. Yeah, God, let's do it. Go see Pharaoh. Pharaoh? Joseph, you're going to save the world. All right, let's do it. But first you've got to visit the, jail, or the pit and then the jail. David, you're the king. You're the man. Okay, God, let's do it. Oh, but Saul's going to try to kill you. Always. Always. Why is it, and I'm telling you, I've seen it so many times, I can write it down. Why is it that you come to me and say, you know what? I want to get my life in order. I'm messing around with life. You know, I'm just living whatever. I want to get my life in order. I'm going to stop messing around. I'm going to stop 
going out and doing all kinds of funny stuff. I'm going to stop the bad relationships. Like, I'm going to get my life in order. I promise you, the day that you say that, that next week, I promise you, what's her name or what's his name from your past is going to, I was going to say call you, but y'all don't call. It's going to text you or, or, or poke you in something, okay? You, you count it like clockwork. You say, I want to get past this, you be sure that something's there come trip you up. As soon as you say, we want to get our lives together spiritually, then you got to expect that everything is going to start to go wrong to try to distract you from it. Even more simple. Every time we say, now it's time for a fast, and it's time for fasting, what does McDonald's do? Two for two on those double cheeseburgers. Every time! Y'all think that's coincidence? Spiritual warfare is what that is. There has to be resistance for anything good. And what we are going to be is we are going to be smart. We are going to be prepared. We are going to expect it so that when we're walking, all right, and we say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this thing for God. As soon as we take that step, you got to expect sucker punches coming right across your face. All right? You're not going to see. You're going to look, and you're going to get sucker punched. You're going to get knocked down. And what the devil wants you to do is say, oh, no, let's retreat. This wasn't right. And I'm saying I'm expecting the sucker punch. So I'm going to walk. I'm going to expect the sucker punch. I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to start swinging back at him because I'm expecting resistance. And I know one of the things that comforted me so much, all right, and you might take this in a negative way, I took it in a very positive way, is that last year on New Year's Eve, all right, like I told you all before, we're going to do the same thing tomorrow. We, we talk about promises for the new year, all right, and I want, when we get together tomorrow night for New Year's, what we're going to do is we're going to have, we're going to get some promises for the Bible, from the Bible, and we're going to spend some time in prayer, and each one is going to pick a promise from the Bible, and that's their promise for the new year. All right, and it's something very, very, very nice. We did it last year. It was very, 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 very nice. And last year, the promise that I got when I picked that little piece of paper came from Luke 10:19. Y'all know what Luke 10:19 says? It says, "Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you." And some people I told it to, and they're like, "Whoa." <laughs> I took that in a very positive way because I know the resistance and I know that God, I'm saying, you saying that we're going to do this and I'm saying, okay, but I know there's going to be resistance, but God said, don't worry. No one's going to lay a hand on you. Don't worry. And I took that promise all year long and I carried it with me saying, God, but he said, Dunner, don't worry. And they get smacked in the face and get knocked down, but hold on to the promise say, don't worry. It's just a, it's just a bruise. It'll heal. Don't worry. Keep going. Keep going. Don't let that stuff stop you. God gives you a vision. You take a step, even though you don't know where you're going. You anticipate the opposition will be there. Laziness will creep up on you. Complacency will keep up, keep up, try to, try to knock you down. Excuses. Family members might say this. Resistance will come from the strangest of places that you can't imagine. But you stick to bound in the spirit. It's not my choice. It's bound in the spirit. And then you eventually get to the fourth phase, which is the best one, which is exactly where we want to get to, which is uncommon clarity. And that's what St. Paul found. I love one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Look what St. Paul says. He says, But none of these things move me, this is what I want to be able to say throughout this coming year. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. 
so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. What St. Paul is saying in there, this verse is a powerful verse because what he's saying is, look, I got a vision and it is clear, crystal clear of this is what God wants me to do and nothing else matters to me. Like I said, I'm the athlete who said, I'm going to be in the Olympics. Someone says, donut, I'm a donut. Someone says, hang, I'm going to hang out. I'm, 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 I got, a, I got a, a mission that I'm doing. I'm trying to be in the Olympics. Someone says to you, single person, hey, nice girl. Say, what nice, funny girl? I got a vision of where God has taken my life, and God's going to take me to a godly marriage. And it's going to be a God-glorifying marriage. I'm messing around with this funny girl, or this funny boy. I'm messing around with these funny relationships doing this. I got a vision of what God wants me to do. Married people, you have a vision of where God wants to take your family. And then someone comes and says, come and cut this corner. What? Cut this corner, man. Come on, man. I have a vision of where God is trying to take me. It becomes a lot easier to resist temptation when you have a vision. I know when I know when I'm at my strongest spiritually and able to resist temptation is when God puts a vision and says, look, this is what I want you to accomplish. The devil comes and says this. I say, come on, man. I'm not trying to mess around with that stuff. I got a vision I'm trying to accomplish right here. Our problem is because we have a vision. We're just kind of wandering around. Devil says this. Be like, yeah, why not? Eh, donut. Okay. Live and let live. Eh, what's the big deal? Because we don't have a vision. St. Paul, I have a vision. Hey, St. Paul, come, uh, come to this city. We'll pay you more money. We're talking about paying you more money. Come on, man. I have a vision. No, no, no. Come here. Take a break. You need ease. What ease, man? I have a vision of where I'm trying to get to. I want to wake up in the morning and know what God wants me to do. And once you know that, it becomes a lot easier to get the stuff done. If I know what God wants my marriage, like I said, a happy marriage, an, a marriage of intimacy, of oneness, and this is what God wants, then all of a sudden, do the dishes. Do the dishes become a lot easier when I have this vision of this intimacy in marriage versus just doing the dishes for the sake of doing the dishes. All right? I'll be very honest. Okay, I'll be honest, like we're close community and we're friends here, all right? When this whole idea about this church came up, some people said, ah, you're going to leave St. Mark's. I'm like, ah. They say, what about the, the youth of St. Mark's? And what about, what about, what about, what about? And regardless of what I said with my face, okay, inside, nobody cared more about that than me. And if it wasn't a bound in this, I live three minutes from St. Mark's. I live very far from here, right? I've been there my whole life. My kids go to school there, right? Like, I was there from when I was age two years old. Like, I, I, it's not a matter of, look, I got a vision. And if this is the vision, that's the vision. And people say, well, I'm sure it's because... Leave all that stuff aside, man. We have a vision. We're trying to accomplish something right here. And it's not a matter of my idea or your idea or anything like that. It's not a matter of what's easy and what's not easy. Okay, because if what's easy was the driving factor, man, things would have been a lot different. It's a matter of God put a vision. Question for you as you approach 2013. What's your vision? Here we stand at the start of 2013, or tail end of 2012, but about to be the start of 2013. And at some point in time, probably about 12 months from now, we're going to stand at the end of this year, of 2013. And we're going to look back. And as we look back, what are you going to see? Are you going to see a bunch of circles 
okay, running around the apartment of the guy who you were trying to get to. You're just going to see a lot of back and forth, a lot of zigzags. You're just going to see a lot of stuff happening but nothing getting done. Or you're going to look back and see, that's where I was. God took me through that, and look, God brought me here. And when I was on this side, I didn't know exactly it was that, but I knew it was something. And I knew that God had something special for me. Like I said, in my relationships, in my marriage, in my career, most important, in my relationship with Him. What's your vision for what you want God to do? Where there is no vision, the people perish. I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that the individuals in this room, the talents, the capabilities, the intelligence level of the people in this room, off the charts. All right? Off the charts. Imagine if each one of them, of us, had a vision from God about what God wants us to do with those talents, and those intelligences, and those degrees, and those letters after our names on our business card. And God had a vision for us, and we are in tune with that vision. And then we all aligned together and put our visions together and started to move towards God's vision for this new year. You know what this world would look like? I have no idea, neither do you. But I know this, man. I know when God, like, when God gives a vision, God's vision is never this. This is, maybe this is how much he reveals, but God's vision is always bigger than we can handle. And it's always magnificently greater. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has come upon the heart of man. You can't even imagine, because God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine. And when we take that vision, and we all line up with that vision, oh man. Remember what I said at the beginning. Everyone ends up somewhere, but not everyone ends up somewhere on purpose. I'm going to leave you with this nice poem from a guy named Sir Francis Drake. I love this poem. I have it saved on my computer. It said, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we have arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. May God help us in 2013 not just to wander around like, come on, man, life is too short. Like, isn't life too short? Just to kind of go through the motions and just kind of sit and, and a year from now, the exact same place that we're sitting right now. Like, we, 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 life is too short to waste a year gone by like that. Like, this is the year we want to have a vision from God. And may God help us to live with that vision, to receive that vision, to pull over the car, to receive that vision, and then to start to take steps. Knowing we're going to get knocked in the face, we're going to get knocked down, but we're going to get back up and we're going to swing back because we're going to get to the point where we have this uncommon clarity that I know for without a shadow of a doubt, this is what God wants me to do, and I can remove all the noise because I know exactly where God is trying to drive me and drive my life. All right? That's my prayer for y'all. All right? And we can hopefully, for those who will stick around here for New Year's, I invite you to come join us tomorrow night. All right, as we, like I said, we spend some time in fellowship together and hanging out and good times, stuff like that. But afterwards, that we really put all of our collective New Year's on the altar in front of God. We offer it in prayer and we receive back from Him a piece of His vision for our life. I don't want to say His whole vision because God's vision, like I said, but a piece of His vision back in the form of a promise. All right? Let's stand up and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart. Thank you, Lord, for your great plan for our lives. It's so much bigger than we can imagine 
or even comprehend. And thank you, Lord, that you don't reveal the details to us because you know that we can't handle it. I pray, Lord, that you'd really help me and every single one of us to get in line with your vision for this coming year. Lord, we want to live your vision for our, our, our homes, for our friendships, for our careers, for our spiritual lives, for everything, Lord. We want to have your vision, and we want to keep on striving to get closer and closer to that vision every single day so we can say like St. Paul that nothing moves us. Even our own lives, we don't count dear to ourselves, just that we may finish our race with joy and we may do according to the vision that you have given to us. Pray, Lord, that you would really help each person to take some time during these coming days to pull the car over and to spend time with you and you would reveal your vision to them and that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you're calling for us to do. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you for everything that you've given us in 2012. And we know, Lord, that 2013, you got even more planned because that's the kind of God that you are, always giving more and more to your beloved children. Accept our prayers this day in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Don't forget to get your tickets for New Year's. If you need one, they're free, but we just so we get a head count. And as I mentioned, after the liturgy, there will be no well next week. Okay, after the liturgy, there will we'll not have a children's program or the well because we'll have Christmas service later that night. Have a great week, guys. See you all next week.